If you remember, I was, I asked you the question, what does my love look like compared to God's love? And I used the illustration of my, my old tattered shoes that I, I should have parted with already, but, uh, wore them to church Sunday morning and sat them on the pulpit here and preached in my socks. But, uh, you know, and as I thought about that sermon, I, it developed into actually along with some of the things I was reading this week or in the week between, uh, two weeks between, um, developed into something deeper than just our love. I mean, the, the, our love, as we flush it out in shoe leather, uh, you know, needs deeper root than just simply of our own selves and our own ability. And then I was reading in some of the periodicals that I receive, and I, I, a nugget of truth and seed was planted in my mind for this sermon this morning. Angie, what does that mean? Okay, you're right about that. Uh, Darian, you ever see that before, that icon? Ever see it anywhere? Walked around, through the airport, wherever? Never saw that. Boy, okay, let's go up a little higher. Malia Noel, you ever see that? Information. Okay, information. That's the icon for information. When you see that eye and you need information, you know, that's probably a good place to start. Um... I I sometimes look for them. Actually, uh, you know, we need them. So as I was thinking about what to share this morning, I, I got to thinking about you know the information you and I have as Christians, God's Word. God gave us all the information we need to get through life here in the pages of this book, and we have that information. Maybe we should be wearing it on our shirts or on our back or on the church sign out there. Uh, information. How much information do I have? How willing am I to share that information? People are searching. Definition for information is knowledge, wisdom. Back to the Sunday school lesson. Communicate it verbally. Again, that's related to the Sunday school lesson, isn't it? Um, or through study and circumstances of facts relating to any given subject. Well, the icon for information is something that we, we focus on in life. Actually, the other... The other day, McDelvin's told us to take off Father's Day, and so Lois and I drove up to Taylor Falls, Minnesota. And the first thing we looked for, and this does not have the eye on, but it does have an exclamation uh, point there. We looked for a brochure. I had never been in Taylor Falls, Minnesota. Uh, ironically, there is not really a falls at Taylor Falls. Uh, we were, Taylor Falls is on the St. Croix River, divides Minnesota and Wisconsin. And uh, we thought it would be a good place to go hiking, visit. And uh, we did some of that. And I said, I picked up the visitor's tips here, which was information. Uh, it said, wear good hiking shoes, not flip-flops. So we were good there. There are cliffs. Keep small children close. We were good there, which is Loss and I. Uh, said, cliff jumping and swimming are prohibited. So, again, we were good there. We weren't going to do any cliff jumping or swimming. And I said, please stay on the trails, which seemed like good common sense, too. This, I don't know if any of you have been, ever been to Taylor Falls, but a lot of the river gorges is a sharp drop-off. It's like cliffs, and that river is through there. Now, if you walk up onto the road bridge there, I think it's maybe eight that comes across there. You know, it does sound like a falls. And we said, well, we hear a falls, but it wasn't a falls. It was just the, the water going through the rabbits underneath the uh, the bridge there and the way it echoed and the noise it made sounded somewhat like a falls. Now, I think there are some. There's a dam up further on St. Croix River, a par dam, I believe. And... Uh, so uh, I was I was grateful. Had the trails marked out. It was uh, 
you know, it explains some of the uh, highlights of the park. And uh, so that was information that they shared with me that I, I was, you know, made our visit more enjoyable. And uh, Dwight mentioned something this morning in his announcements about information. Anybody catch it? What did he say? And we've seen a brute. Oh. Bad choice. You ever see that? Dwight said, for your information. And then he went on to proceed to tell us about, about Dennis. And then Chris, I think, updated us more currently than that yet. For our information. And uh, for your information. And uh, we hear that sometimes. We see it in emails. We see it in text messages. For your information. FYI. Picked up a reaching out off my desk at home. And it says, has Dwight's name listed there and phone number. And then below that it says, for more information and to listen to sermons. And then it gives our church website, prayermennonite.org. Another thing I thought about that is, has been in the news just since last election, the idea of misinformation. You know, there is that potential to have misinformation out. How many of you children remember the story, The Sky is Falling? You children ever hear that story, The Sky is Falling, about Chicken, about chicken Little? Ever hear that story? A couple of you nod. How many of you adults remember that story? Okay, this is time, uh, this is a time element here. Well, children, how about a story about Chicken Little this morning? There are some good morals in that story, and this goes back, actually, I, I couldn't even find the date when Chicken Little was written. Uh, it was preserved by a Danish librarian, and then it was translated in 1922 by an English uh, girl, Flora Ann Steele. I don't know, should I take the time to read a little fairy tale or not? It does have some good morals in it, and it does uh, kind of... You children, listen, I want you to tell me what the moral of this story is, okay? And adults, too, okay? There once was a big farm near Vastfield, and here there lived a hen named Penny. She was great friends with everyone. Those who knew her gave her many names. She was a tiny hen. The other chickens in the yard would tease her for her size. They often termed her Chicken Little. While Penny surprisingly loved this name, her favorite thing to be called was Henny Penny. And that's ironically what we call our one hen at home, Henny Penny. Given to her by the other fowls that lived nearby. The, the rhyme was perfect. It was sweet, and she liked it very much. One morning, as Henny Penny was pick, plucking worms in the hen yard, an acorn dropped from a tree right under her head. She had no idea what had hit her, however, and so she started shouting, The sky is falling! The sky is falling! She ran around in circles for a while and calmed herself, and then she got right to waddling, and she had to alert the king. She waddled and waddled and waddled until she found her excellent friend, Rooster Booster. What's the matter, Henny Penny, he asked. Oh, Rooster Booster, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. We must alert the king, she cried. Oh, we must, we must, he cried. Henny Penny and Rooster Booster waddled and waddled and waddled until they saw their wonderful pal, Ducky Clucky. Now Ducky Clucky was basking in the sun near the pond's edge when he noticed the two chickens fast approaching. Henny Penny and Rooster Booster, hello. Fine day, isn't it? Ducky Clucky giggled and splashed into the world. Oh, Ducky Clucky, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. We must alert the king, Henny Penny exclaimed. And as he joined his friends immediately, he shook his little webbed feet free of the water and he felt the warm sun dry then quickly and wondered, how could the sky 
fall on such a warm summer day as this one? He looked at the concern on his friends' faces. Nevertheless, he shrugged his wonders away. Penny, penny, rooster, booster, ducky, clucky, waddled and waddled and waddled until they met up with the brawny Goosey Brucey floating with ease at the other end of the pond. Oh, Goosey Brucey, Henny, penny began. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. We must alert the king. Oh, we must, we must. Rooster Booster chimed in. Ducky Clucky looked back at the blazing sun and again wondered, how could the sky be falling on such a nice warm summer day? Goosey Brucey wanted to protect his foul friends and he wanted to join them on their journey to the nearby palace, but he had a question about the sky above. Henny Penny started, how do you know the sky is falling? Well, it fell right on my head, she answered. Goosey Brucey puffed his chest feathers instantly and moved right along, shrugging the question away. Henny Penny, Rooster Booster, Ducky Clucky, and Goosey Brucey waddled and waddled until they came to the farm fence. They noticed the eccentric Turkey Perky pecking on the other side. Oh, Turkey Perky, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and we must alert the king, Henny Penny squealed. Oh, we must, we must, Rooster Booster chimed in. Again, Ducky Clucky, now, now hot as ever, and missing his pond, wondered, how could the sky be falling on a warm summer day such as this one? And Goosey Brucey again asked aloud, how do we know the sky is falling? Well, it fell right on my head, I say, I say, Henny Penny shouted in desperation. Now Turkey Porky stopped pecking and turned to the group. Hello, hello. Sorry, I think I missed a page. And turned to the group. Rooster Booster, did you see the sky fall? No, I did not, the rooster replied. And Ducky Clucky, you look strained. How do you feel? How are you feeling, Turkey Turkey? Perky asked, well, I'm concerned, I'm hot, and I wonder how the sky could be falling on such a beautiful day, he replied, and Goosey Brucey and Turkey Perky turned to the burly bird. You do not see any sky falling, do you? No, I do not, the goose responded. Ha, ha, well then, I will come with you on my merry way, but we'll, but we've all come, but we all got some doubts, Penny. The turkey sat with glee. He was interested to see where this adventure would go. Henny Penny, Rooster Booster, Ducky... Clucky and Goosey Brucey and Turkey Perky waddled and waddled and waddled until they could see the palace just beyond the farmer's field. And as they waddled over the last hill, over the last field, they saw a flash of reddish-brown before them, and it was Mr. Fox. None of the foul friends had met this sly creature before, but they had heard rumors of his trickery and appetite. Henny Penny and Rooster Booster were obvious, oblivious, though, and desperate to keep moving. Ducky Clucky suddenly shrivered, forgetting the day's heat, and Goosey Brucey's chest became even puffier. Turkey Plucky... Perky just stopped and smiled. Hello, hello, cooed the fox. Oh, Mr. Fox, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. We must alert the king, Henny Penny shouted. Oh, we must, we must, Rooster Booster chimed in, and the other birds stayed silent. Ah, yes, the sky is falling, and I know where the king is, replied a delighted Mr. Fox. He licked his lips and gestured to the birds to follow him past the large tree and back over the hill. Henny Penny Rooster Booster began to waddle and waddle right in the direction of Mr. Fox. Turkey Perky whispered something to Ducky Clucky and Goosey Boosey, and the three waddled closely behind the rest. As Mr. Fox led Henny Penny and Rooster Booster into a hole in the hill just under the tree, Ducky Clucky bounded into action. There was a small patch of water beside the opening, and the dog giggled with delight as he splashed his feet loudly. Booster, Rooster Booster and Mr. Fox re-emerged from the hole. Suddenly distracted by all the quacking and splashing, Goosey Brucey looked at Turkey Perky, who gave him the signal and stood right under the tree over the hole, and the goose puffed his chest out as hard as he could and mustered and bumped the trunk, causing the tree to shake, and several acorns fell, covering the hole and hitting Mr. Fox and knocking him out cold. Turkey Perky pecked and pecked up the acorns until there was just enough room for the tiny hen to escape out of the hole. Chicken little indeed. By now she had seen the acorns collapsed and knew what had fallen on her on her head earlier. Henny Penny, Rooster Booster, Ducky Clucky, Goosey Brucey, and Turkey Perky waddled and waddled and waddled back home 
to safety. Henny Penny hugged her little fowl friends and kissed Turkey Plucky on the cheek, grateful that the fox had not eaten them and that the world was not ending. Instead, they all lived happily after. Well, what's the moral of that story, children? Anybody? Everybody's afraid to venture out. There could be a couple morals, perhaps. Be careful of your friends. Peer pressure. What was that? Not to jump to conclusions. All right. Make sure you know the facts before you start sharing them. Well, that's what I thought about when I thought about misinformation anyway. And, uh, but you know, as I thought about misinformation, and there's, and, you know, the media plays up a big part, likes to hype up misinformation. And I'm not here to say that I have all the information, but I will say this, misinformation is a human tendency. And it actually goes back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, where we have the experience in the Garden of Eden. And it comes back and it says, where, God, where Satan came to Eve and she says, Yea, hath God says, hath God said. And that's the first account of misinformation we have recorded. Yea, hath God said. And many times men today are saying, oh, yeah, is that so? Is that actually what the Word of God says? Well, we need to know the Word of God. We need to acquaint ourselves with the information that God has given to us. Another thing I thought about as I thought about information that is closely uh, associated with information is uh, we often see free information, okay? Free information. Is information really, really free? Oftentimes there's ulterior motives along with free information. Now, I like free information. There are some things we need to uh, consider, though, if we accept free information. I think, first of all, we need to use discretion, okay? We need to use discretion. We need to check the source, okay? Check the source of the information. Is it proven by time? These are just some questions to ask yourself before you accept free information. Uh, how does it fit into my values and past experiences? Another question to ask yourself. Another question you could ask yourself to check with others who have similar interests. Is that something that I, I should be into? Is that something that will actually benefit me? Three things to emphasize as we think of a, a free information. Source, value, and seek advice. You know, I think it's important that, as, especially as we think about source, uh, we need to build a solid base. God's word. God's God has given us a conscience to help us determine. Uh, that conscience needs to be educated by God's word. Uh, but again, we need to have a we need to build a solid base in in identifying the source of the free information, the value. Uh, you know, what's it going to benefit me? What is that free information going to benefit me? Think about spiritual versus secular. Okay. So think about that impact. Spiritual always will trump the secular aspect of it as we think of the value. Eternal will always trump the time aspect of, of the value of information. And then the aspect of seeking advice, Proverbs 3, verse 1. I'm just going to turn to that uh, briefly here. Proverbs 3, verse, verse 1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. 
So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as a father the son, in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Sounds like information. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depth are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be, so shall they be that so shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk, then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid, yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh, for the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Again, that's talking about the information that's here within the covers of this book. To think of the information that is contained within there. Very concise proverb, words of reading, words of wisdom. The article that actually got me going on this sermon here was... Uh, just dropped the article. That's a that's a regular feature in a magazine that I received entitled "Just Dropping By," and some of you may have read that. It's written by Yan Vet Tenney, and uh, values and tra- traditions only linger if they are passed on. As I thought about information, I thought about the information that we, as as, as parents, as grandparents, you know, are we passing on the information that is that is important that is going to get you the next generation through life. And then I was reading this article here, and it, it emphasized that I'm going to read just part of it here. Before the invention of the compass, navigators looked up into the vast blackness of the sky and charted their course by the shimmering stars. During the day, the sun pointed the way. Later, the astrolabe, a medieval invention, gave the sailors a path through the uncharted waters to the land of hope and plenty. Today, thousands of ships in the water and in the air are navigated by intricate compasses compasses and GPSs. Even pedestrians can use GPSs to find their way if the coordinates are correct. Everyone knows where they are going, but there isn't a day goes by when a child goes out into the world to navigate through the uncharted shadows of life without so much as a glimmering star to point the way. Children who wander without direction are not like lost ships that will be destroyed by crashing waves, jacket rocks, and reefs or run out of supplies to perish on the ocean without food or fresh water. Lost children are individuals who, if not checked, can destroy nations and societies. Children are the leaders for tomorrow. As one generation dies, another rises. Values and traditions are replaced by the values and traditions of children have internalized and held sacred values and traditions only linger if they are passed on. Across the nation, schools, parents, churches, conservative leaders are raising weak arms to stop the mighty flood of changing values and traditions. We are faced with an unprecedented evil, which has not stopped one or mind destroy our most sacred traditions and values. Religious freedom is on the chopping block. Family solidarity and parental choices have given way to the philosophy. If it feels right, do it no matter who is who it hurts. Biblical teachings that have been successful for thousands of years are replaced by Super Bowl Sunday instinct. Barry's succession are cho- Barry and succession. Our children know more about 
Peppy Pig and Paw Patrol and Invader Sim than they know about Jesus Christ. I wonder how much those shows will help them navigate the shifting waters of the new normal. We have seen our values and freedoms ripped away incrementally by those who want to change the fabric of our nation. When I first started teaching as an aide in public school, the teacher stood before the classroom, bowed her head, and prayed for each student's success. The success of the nation and the political leader's gradual prayer was, gradually prayer was outlawed. First it was, we don't pray together for the fear of offending someone, favoring Fearing one religion before another or infringing on the delicate balance between church and state. Consequently, in my later teaching career, we were allowed a moment of silence where everyone put their heads on their desks and thought their own prayer. The value of prayer was gradually removed from the school curriculum. The value of keeping God's commandments following a similar path. Posting the commandments in schools went by the wayside when the powers that he de- and the powers that be decided it was detrimental to the growth and the development of children because if posted, children might read the commandments and feel they must obey them. What a shame that would have been to those who, prep- who per- perpetuated school shootings. If they had read those commandments, they might have had a different choice. No matter how illogical the commandments were deemed politically incorrect, and to many the blessings promised for obeying the commandments were null and void. And I'll stop reading there, but that just uh, that stimulated my thinking as I, I think of the values that we as parents and as uh, grandparents want to pass on to our children, uh, irregardless whether it's deemed as as uh, we know it's correct. When I know there's no one here in this room probably that would not say that you know what what we're teaching this morning and what we're holding forth is 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 uh, is not the way to life and success. Two things as I thought about factor into our thinking, you know, I, you've all probably heard the quote, it's, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. And, uh, I like that expression. It's a favorite one of mine. You aren't what you think you are, but what you think you are. So, you know, the thinking process is, is part of processing information that we take in. So there's two factors in the thinking like God. Am I thinking like God this morning? Uh, First of all, I believe it's His Word. That's the one portion of, of our thinking process this morning. I need to be, I need to be familiar with God's Word if I'm going to think like God. The second is is our mind. So those two are are linked together. Our mind processing the information that God communicates to us through the written Word. Those two elements I like to look at this morning in in the sermon. Turn to uh, Psalms uh, one. There was another uh, article I was going to mention. I may just mention part of it uh, while you're turning there. I want to read Psalms 1. But uh, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, still yet today. And uh, over 100 million copies of, of the Bible are sold each year. Uh, it's not just a book. It's the Word of God. And it needs to. we need to use it as our, our perimeter for living our lives. And this article mentions that. It says, for Christians all over the world, the Bible is more than just a popular book. It's God's owner's manual for life. Like any other good owner's manual, the Bible gives instructions. And Christians consult in it from time to time when they need help. The Bible, the Bible provides advice on how to solve problems of any kind. Love problems, problems at work, problems with the family, etc. Modern day Christians believe that the Bible they hold in their hands is just as profitable for every aspect of the, their lives as it was for Christians way back in the first century. The Bible contains history, revelations, and prophecies of Christianity over a thousand years. 
talks about two key verses in the two core verses in the Bible. First Corinthians 13 talks about the aspect of love, and that's what I talked about. First Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I may have the gift of, uh, this is written in the NIV, I believe. I may have the gift of inspired preaching. I may have all knowledge and understand all secrets and have all faith to, needed to move mountains. But if I have not love, I am nothing. And that's what we preached about the other Sunday. John fourteen sixteen. Jesus said, I am the way. No man comes to God but through Jesus Christ. And again, that's those are the two key core verses that they pick out here in this article that I was going to uh, to mention. A couple other things that I found rather interesting. Um, and this is this is kind of a wake up for me. Tells how how uh, tells something about my mind, I guess. Okay, China leads the world in Bible production. Did you know that? Would have any of you guessed that? China leads the world in Bible production. Uh, the Amity Printing Company in China continues to produce Bibles year after year. China is currently the biggest producer of the Bible in the world, with over six hundred employees. Take your Bibles that you have in your laps here this morning. And open it and see where it's printed right now. I was sitting at my desk and I thought, mm, I don't think my Bible came from China. Sure enough, it did. It was printed in China. If your Bible says printed in China, I'd like to see your hand. Now, if we could figure out a way to short, short circuit that, that's, that process. <laughs> You know, we're smuggling Bibles into China and they're being printed there. Figure that one out. Well, I'm guessing there are a few publishing printing presses in the U.S. that do print Bibles. I think three, actually. Uh, so there may be some that are not. I, I don't know. Uh, but that, that was kind of a wake-up call for me. I thought, wow, that is that is phenomenal. And... Uh, I, I was just I was just so sure mine wasn't wasn't printed there, but uh, anyway, that's secondary. And in, uh, in, uh, I think it's still accurate. I still think it's. I don't have no reason to believe it isn't accurate. <laughs> Can we trust them? Uh, another interesting thought that I, I came across in this article, uh, and I wanted to give recognition to who had uh, written this article, Michael Bryan. He said, uh, swearing on the Bible is a typical practice in court. And then he says, however, that practice is a total contradiction of what the Bible teaches. And I thought that was impressive uh, from a uh, social media aspect. And uh, amen is the last word of the Bible. Well, those are just a few Bible facts. Reading Psalms chapter Psalms 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinneth, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. All right, looking first of all at, at God's word here as the, as a, as a, as the first aspect of, of thinking, our thinking process, our development, our information process. Where are we getting information process? This, without a doubt, this morning I can offer to you is true information. Actually, we just sang it. Um, in one of the songs, I'm trying to think which one it was, about God's word being pure. And uh, 
remember which zone it was. That's secondary. But uh, two sources compared here in Psalms 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, the ungodly and sinners and scornful versus God's law. Uh, you know, David there is, in, if you look at, I don't know if your Bible has the center references there or not, but mine has it below the verses there in verse 2. It has Joshua 1e. And that's the account where Joshua is setting before the people uh, the idea of following the laws of God and, and using God's law as being the, the standard of their moving forward. Moses was passing off the scene. When I turn back to Joshua 1, 8 and 9, and I don't have to take the time to read that, but Joshua is only reiterating what Moses had told them before. So I like that, I like that aspect. We're talking about passing on values. We're talking about passing on information. So here was Moses passing it on to Joshua. Joshua passed it on. David's repeating it here, and I'm repeating it this morning. We need to continue to repeat that information, that God's law is, our delight needs to be in His law, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. Uh, and on and on, it needs to be a progression through throughout the generation, from generation to generation. Um, you know, God's law, there is no other uh, law that is worthy of our worship. Um, he talks about uh, following and meditating in that law. What role does, I ask you this morning, what role does God's word have in my thinking and decision-making process? You can ask yourself that. What what role does God's word have in your thinking and decision-making process? Can I say with 100% assured this morning that God's word has given me direction for my life in all of my decisions? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Now, there are some decisions that we, we probably don't give a second thought to because they're, they've already been decided, uh, it maybe does okay to reconsider them decisions at times. I don't know. Uh, I will say this. There is the element of faith. When we get up against the wall sometimes, God allows that to happen in our experiences, in our journeys. Sometimes God lets us to get up against the wall. And we say, God, which direction do I go? I can't keep going forward. We're at the river. Do we go left or do we go right or do we go straight through? And then there's the dimension of faith that needs to come into play here. In, in all of our decision-making process. Uh, and I, I'm not here to tell you exactly what the answer is for you, but I think we need, we cannot afford to not have that confidence to move forward. And it might be standing still for a while. It could be. So you have you have left, you have right, you have going straight forward, and you have sometimes just standing still. But I think you need to have that assurance in your heart that what you're doing is God's will. Um, and I think God has given us the resources to have that peace to have that confidence, regardless what the circumstances may be. I'm, I'm confident of that. Uh, you know, maybe, and I probably, I struggle with that as much as anybody sometimes. You know, I, I've got to figure the way out, left, right, forward, or stand still. But uh, I, I pray to God that he would give us the grace and the wisdom to understand what his will is. And I think he has given us the resources to determine that. And again, sometimes it means moving forward in faith. I will say this along with, with what I just got done saying is doubting and unbelief can get us in big trouble. Doubting and unbelief. Doubting that what God wants us to do, not having clarity of what God wants us to do and, and feeling like God has left us, uh, you know, can get us, takes down the wrong road pretty fast. 
doubting and unbelief. Look at the experiences of the children of God's people in the past. Doubting and unbelief never produced anything positive. Let me tell you that. We can. We need to have that confidence that what we're doing, what we're walking, the way we're going, the journey we're taking is God's way for my life and my experiences. Verse 3, notice the source of life. In verse 3 it says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The source of life is being planted by the river, the waters. And again, that's provided... By God. God provides that nourishment in our spiritual walk with Him, in our journey uh, from this time, from this world to the next world. Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 20, said, By their fruits ye shall know them. God wants us to be fruit bearing trees planted by the river of life. And that water is His, is, He's the source of that water. Verse 6, for the Lord knoweth, I like this verse, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. If we're living righteous lives, if we're following the laws of God's word, God's laws are, are what are dictating our, our code of conduct. That's righteousness. And God here tells us, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. God knows your way this morning. God knows where you're going to be tomorrow. God knows where you're going to be next week. If you're walking in righteousness, God knows that way. And the ungodly, but the ungodly, the way of the ungodly shall perish. Notice that comparison there. God knows the way of the righteous, but the ungodly shall perish. If you and I are taking the way that God knows, we can have comfort this morning. We can have trust and we can follow him in full obedience. Now coming back to the second part of our equation. So we have the information. God has given us his word. We need to meditate in it. We need to make part of our character. We need to live it. We need to flesh it out. Like the other Sunday, our love needs to be expressed in shoe leather. Our mind needs to process what we absorb from his law. And it needs to affect every dimension of our lives. So our minds this morning. uh, What percent of our minds do we use? Anybody want to guess? Right now, not very much. Huh? Okay, thinks it's ten percent. Well, what I researched, they said that's a that's a myth. So that's misinformation. <laughs> I think it does depend. I think it does depend though, on the situation. <laughs> Sometimes I'm running on, on uh, one flat tire and too low. But uh, so uh, the article I read said you actually that's a myth. They said it's not true. We actually use a hundred percent of our our brain matter. I'm not a neuroscientist. Chris, you're a doctor. Is that true? I agree with what you said. Okay. <laughs> we, we could use more, maybe. You don't use enough of it, but 100% of your brain gets used. <laughs> okay, so there you got a doctor saying that. That's better than a farmer, probably. Uh, anyway. I, I was going to read an article that I found rather interesting. I, I hope I'm not boring you by all these articles here. Ten Mysteries of the Mind. I feel like I'm, I'm wasting a lot of time with unessentials here, but uh, uh, much of what we don't understand about being human is simply in our heads. The brain is a befuddling organ, as are very questions of life and death, consciousness, sleep, and much more. Here's a, head, here's a heads up on what's known and what's not understood about our noggins. 
consciousness. When you wake up in the morning, you might perceive that the sun is just rising, hear a few birds chirping, and maybe even feel a flash of happiness as a fresh morning air hits your face. In other words, you are conscious. The complex topic has plagued the scientific community since antiquity. Only recently have neuroscientists considered consciousness as a realistic research topic. The greatest brain teaser in this field has been to explain how how processes in the brain give rise to subjectivity experiences. Subjective experiences. So far, scientists have managed to develop nothing but a great list of questions. That sounds encouraging. Living forever may not be a reality, but a pioneering field called chrononics. I, I, I think I had heard about this before, but I had totally forgotten about it. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but could, could give some people two lives. The Cryonic Center, like Alcor Life Extension Foundation in Arizona, stores posthumous bodies in vats filled with liquid nitrogen at bone-chilling temperatures of minus 320 degrees. The idea is that a person who died from presently incurable disease could be thawed and revived in the future when a cure has been found. The body of the late baseball legend Ted Williams is stored in one of these Alcor's freezers. Like other human popsicles, Williams is positioned head down. That way, if there ever were a leak in the tank, the brain would stay submerged in the cold liquid. Not one of the cryopreserved bodies has ever been revived because that talk, because that technology doesn't exist. For one, if the body is thawed at exactly the right temperature, for one, if the body isn't thawed at exactly the right temperature, that person's cells could turn to ice and burst into pieces. Now, that was kind of interesting, uh, uh, concept, but totally off the wall, I think. I, I wouldn't recommend it, okay? That's a mis, uh, maybe it can be done, but I don't think they're going to get it done right away. Uh, mortal mystery. Living forever is just for Hollywood, but why do humans age? You were born with a robust toolbox full of mechanisms to fight disease and injury, when you might think, which you might think should arm you against stiff, stiff joints and other ailments, but as we age, the body's repair mechanisms get out of shape. In effect, your residuals to physical injury and stress declines. Theories for why people age can be divided into two categories. One, like other human characteristics, aging could just be a part of the human genetics and is somehow beneficial. I don't know about that one. Two, I believe it is the way way we're somewhat... uh, it's the natural process of degeneration of time. Number two, in the less optimistic view, aging has no purpose and results from cellular damage that occurs over a person's lifetime. A handful of researchers, however, think science will ultimately delay aging at least long enough to double the lifespans. Well, I'm not sure we're interested in that either. In the long-running battle, whether our thoughts and past personalities are controlled by genes or environment, scientists are building a convincing body of evidence that it could be either or both. The ability to study individual genes points to many human traits that we have little control over. Yet, in many realms, peer pressure or upbringing has been shown to heavily influence who we are and what we do. So there we go back to the Henny Penny story, okay? Uh, you know, that uh, aspect of peer pressure and uh, the way we're brought up. Uh, Henny Penny should have uh, documented what really had hit her on the head before she headed off to see the king. Talks about brain teaser, laughter, and the effects of it on our on our mind and our, our bodies in general. We all know that uh, one thing is clear, laughter does make us feel better, relaxes us. And uh, I think that's all I'm going to quote from that article. But uh, going back to our the aspect of our minds, that was by uh, that article was by Gianna Byer, a neuroscientist. He says uh, Terry, that's a Polish name, Terry Sinjanowski estimates that the brain could store one petabyte or a quadrillion bytes of of information. 
in our mind. Uh, again, I'm not sure that's talking about bytes like we understand compute, computer capacity. Uh, someone said it, I'm not sure whether this is correct or not. They said that would be actually, a petabyte would be the, the, uh, the, 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 the capacity of the all, the total internet. I'm not here to argue that one or the other. I don't know. <laughs> so they're saying that's what our, our mind would have the capacity. And that's it. Now, along with that, they said there are three things that limit our ability. This goes back to what Chris said. Three things that limit our ability to get that information all there. First of all, it said is attention, the idea of attention. Okay, how long is our attention span? I think your attention span is running out this morning, right? <laughs> uh, we cannot pay attention... We can only pay attention to a limited amount of things, okay? We can only pay attention to a limited amount of things. I'm trying to, I'm trying to capitalize on that this morning here, but secondly, uh, the order of learning things has a big impact on, uh, on what we retain and what takes up bites in our brain. And I, this I found interesting. Things learned first are actually the strongest things and are stronger than things that are learned later. And I thought of Leona as I read the statistics on this, okay? Can I share this, Leona? Things that are learned first. And it went on to cite an example of a, of a, of a, uh, the fear of snakes. <laughs> and, uh, it said a child that had grown up with a fear of snakes and into adulthood and they had tried to reprogram or tried to convince her that snakes were harmless. And after all the, all the, uh, counseling and psychological whatever they did to her, it still came back <laughs> because of that early childhood fear that was instilled within her of the fear of snakes. So uh, it's important what you learn first. That, that, that's emphasized this morning. And I, I know that for a personal fact. I, I know some of the things that I learned as a child, bio memory, you know, you, those things are there permanently. The third thing is, so it's attention, the order of learning. The third thing is, finally, there are limits uh, that we have to do with brain sensitivity and, and hearing and knowledge and speech. Now, the, the idea is that uh, I think as we get older, our sensitivity of, of hearing sounds, learning a second language, you say, is, is more difficult the older you are, not to discourage anybody this morning. Uh, I struggle with one language. Uh, but they said, actually, the this article said the first, uh, the first sounds of speech are, are gained within the first year of age, actually, many times. Um, so you, you know that child that's listening to parents talk, listening to stories read, they're picking up on those sounds. And uh, they said the older you get, the less your, your hearing is able to, uh, able to differentiate between the sounds. And we're not as alert. So uh, again, that would play into that. Our, our senses are not as, as keen. Going to Romans chapter 8, as I think about our minds, uh, again, this is a... A passage of scripture that is very familiar, I think, to all of us. But I, I liked what it had to say about the mind. Romans chapter eight. I want to read verses one through ten. Notice the the minds that are described here. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Notice the comparison there, the law of Christ and the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. It's talking about a changed lifestyle. It's talking about a lifestyle that's using the word of God to be your guidepost throughout life. 
For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Forget the Alcorn Foundation in Arizona. Let's, let's, let's take verse, let's take verse 6 here. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I'll take that any day ahead of being frozen in, in liquid nitrogen. Because the carnal mind is amity against the body, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Notice that. Because of righteousness. Again, going back to our account there in our text in Psalms 1. Carnal mind, death, spiritual mind, life. Again, turning just a bit further on, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, a couple of verses there. I want to read verses 14 through 16. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither indeed Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Notice verse 16 particularly. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Now we're talking about thinking like Christ. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? That he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. If we have the Spirit of God living within us, we have the mind of Christ. Our responses, our our thinking process, our value process, the things that I, I'm going to pass on to the succeeding gener- generations are going to be what are going to produce life and peace if I am filled with God's Spirit and have the mind of Christ uh, conducting and governing my life. Romans chapter 12. Again, familiar verses to all of us probably, but uh, I like these verses, Romans 12. I'll not read the entire chapter, just verses 1 through 3, and then drop down to verses 16 through 18. But I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as, God to de- according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Very, very, very key verses. Your mind is the control center of your body and, the, and your total being this morning. God needs to be on the throne in that capacity. How is God reasonable? I, I liked what the NIV had. It says, this is your spiritual act of worship. That's the way the NI reads it. Instead of saying, instead of saying like it does it in the King James here, which is your reasonable service, the NIV says, this is your spiritual act of worship. As we give our lives in sacrifice to Him, it's our act of worship. We're giving ourselves to God this morning. And I read somewhere, and I, I, I can't totally confirm this, but they said that worship and work uh, were translated from the same Greek root word. Uh, I stand corrected if I'm wrong on that, but I read that somewhere and I didn't confirm that. But uh, worship and work were create, uh, translated from the same Greek word. And I say, you know, we think of worship and what we're doing here this morning. We think of work, work, what I do Monday through Saturday. But the the two are are linked together. 
if we think about that. Worship and work. My work, my mundane object of taking care of the cows or farming or building buildings or doing whatever, you know, it, it's, it, it translates into worship as I live my life in that dimension. Uh, I don't care what your vocation is. I think as we work, it needs to be uh, an extension of our worship of God. Do you like the thought this morning that God is controlling all of your actions no matter what? Can you surrender? Can you lay yourself on the altar and experience that this morning? Dropping down to verses 16 through 18. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil, for evil provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. You know, if God is, is, is controlling our thinking, it's going to affect how I relate to you this morning as a congregation, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. How I relate to my neighbors. We were talking about that in the Sunday school class this morning. David, we brought that out very clear. You know, we have wisdom. We have, um, you know, how we relate to our customers, particularly to Him. You know, it impacts how it will affect my relationship to those around us. How do I see myself before God? When I see myself as, as a needy creature, before God this morning, I realized that how small I am. And God needs to use me as a channel in reaching out to others. Just a couple of more verses here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, direct thought concept. What is, what is the mind that was in Christ Jesus? Well, it was a self-sacrificing humility. Love for others. Where does that all begin? It's nice to talk about, but you know, somewhere the rubber needs to meet the road. The shoe needs to be put into shoe leather. And it needs to begin in our thinking process. Self-sacrificing humility and love for others. It needs to begin in my thought process. Turning to Hebrews chapter 8, and I'm just walking back through the New Testament here as I look at some of these verses here that have to do with our thinking. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Their God promises to take that law and put it in our hearts and minds so that it can be... Uh, so it will govern our lives and our actions. And again, going back to the account in, in Psalms 1, read, meditate, pray, discuss. discuss. Um, the NIV on Hebrews 8 there says, talks about inner principles that actually become our delight. Inner principles that, that are there. They're just there. And they become our delight. It's not like we're, like the Old Testament law. Well, this is what the law says, so I gotta do it. But no, it, it becomes almost like our second nature because of who is on that throne in our hearts and lives. First, one more verse in First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says this, he says, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, this body, okay, to stir up your, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So that's my goal this morning, to stir up your, your minds while I'm in this body, while I'm in this tabernacle, to stir up your minds to think like God. Consider that next week as you go about your activities. Am I thinking like God? Am I acting like God? Do people see Jesus living in me?